beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory full of grace and truth. I look to the scriptures for poetic truth, um, as well as the sort of historical stuff I'm, I'm, I'm in, interested in. And of course, there was a hyster historical Jesus. No, I'm talking about God. Oh, right. And, and do well, you, I see, I'm, the, the person of Christ is my way to understand uh, God. Do you pray? Yes. To whom or what do you pray? To and Christ. Way? To Christ. Yeah. And, and what do you pray for? I pray to get to know um, the will of God, because then the prayers have more chance of coming true. I mean, that's the thing about prayer, isn't it? I mean, we don't do it in a very lofty way in our family. There's just a bunch of us on the bed, usually. We have a very big bed in our house. And all our, we've prayed with all our kids. We, we you know, we just, we, we read the scriptures, we pray. It's not even regular. Sometimes if we go to church on a Sunday, we go when the church has ended and we'll just go in on our own as a family. For peace and quiet. For peace and quiet. And we'll pray usually about people that we know who are struggling with something, um, illness so, so, or so whatever. So then what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think, therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. Hey, will you stand with me as we look at our verses for today from John 14? We're going to read from verse 25 through verse 29. These things I have spoken to you while remaining with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of what I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. You heard that I said to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced 
because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Father, I thank you. I thank you for just this day. I thank you for the way you have placed a desire for you in the hearts of so many people around the globe and so many different walks of life. I just ask that you do that with us today, that you place a deep, deep desire in us to be with you and to be faithful to you. Amen. You can have a seat. Hey, so that video you just watched was an interview um, that one of my best friends gave in his homeland of Ireland. Does anybody recognize this friend of mine? Bono? Yeah, all the cool kids got it right. So for those of you who um, are not musically inclined or maybe just have poor taste, like country music fans, um, <clears throat> what? No, that's a biblical truth now. I'm not going to argue this with you guys. <laughs> uh, U2 is one of the most popular rock bands of all time. They've been playing music for like 50 years now. Oh, I'm old. Um, and they have won all kinds of awards and sold a bunch of records. And, and they're one of the biggest selling rock bands of all time. I think they're behind like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, honestly. I think they're like third of all time. Um, but now, before you come up to me after this service and say, hey, if Bono's one of your best friends, when is you two gonna lead worship on a Sunday? I wanna point something out to you. I said he was one of my best friends. I did not say I was one of his best friends. Um, in fact, he doesn't even know I exist. But um, I know that the only reason he and I aren't best friends, that we don't have some kind of budding bromance is because we actually haven't met. I feel fairly certain that if you ever met me, that this, this bromance would blossom instantly and we would be best buddies everywhere we went. You know, the sad part for me is, is I, I do truly admire his, his writing. I admire his talents. I, I admire his heart and his mind that goes into the music he makes. And the reality is I'm probably not gonna meet him on this side of heaven. And the sadness is I really don't think I'm gonna care that Bono's there when I'm standing in the presence of Jesus. So honestly, I don't think I'm gonna care that any of you are there when I'm standing in the presence of Jesus. But so, so you 2 has been together a long time. They've made a bunch of songs, a bunch of records. And, and th their story is three of the four members started out in their teens as followers of Jesus. They were, they were very passionate in Dublin and part of a Christian community that was a, a community of teaching and togetherness and trying to live it for Christ. And, and they set out to make music that would actually reach the broken places of people's lives in our culture and to speak God's truth into a wounded world. And so when they were first starting out, Bono wrote this letter to his father. He was talking about the fact that the band starts each day with prayer and scripture reading and inviting God to work in their lives. And his father was kind of questioning why they did that. And this was his response to his father. This gives us our strength and a joy that does not depend on drink and drugs. This strength will, I believe, be the quality that will take us to the top of the music business where never before have so many lost and sorrowful people gathered in one place to pretend that they're having a good time. It's our ambition to make more than good music. There's this song by you two, it's one of my favorite songs, this song called Walk On, maybe some of you have heard it, but it has this great line in it, and it's talking about 
moving through this world into heaven and it has this great line that says, you're packing a suitcase for a place none of us has been, a place that has to be believed to be seen. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here in chapters 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John. I think he's helping his disciples pack a suitcase for a place that they've never been, a place that they have to believe in to see. And that place is his kingdom living under his rule and his reign and his authority in this world. So in John 17 here, where we talked about last week where he's praying this final prayer, John 18 comes along and that's when Jesus is arrested. And he knows he's going to be leaving his apostles soon. But he also knows that if he doesn't equip them, they're not getting through this. And so I think that's what he's doing there. He's helping them get the necessary things in their travel bag to walk through this world, to live in his kingdom, to live under his authority. And so in in verse 27 of John 14, he says this, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. Here's what I think he's telling his apostles here as he's helping them pack this bag for this place they've never been. I think he's telling them that, that peace needs to be at the top of the list of things they have in their travel bag if they're gonna get through this world in that place. None of us have been, that kingdom of God. I think life in the kingdom of God here and now is a peace-enriched atmosphere. And we have to breathe that in deeply and it nourishes us. And the kingdom contains a high, super high concentration of peace in it. And something that as we breathe it, it becomes part of us, it nourishes our souls. And more and more of it becomes something that is just who we are as we live into the kingdom of God, as we move into the kingdom of God by growing in Christ intentionally. It's that process we call discipleship. Listen to this quote. It's a great quote from author and and, uh, former University of Toronto campus pastor Brian Walsh. He says this about discipleship. Christian discipleship requires a clear vision of both the brokenness of our personal and cultural lives and of where God is at work to bring healing in the midst of that brokenness. I think peace is the essential ingredient for God to bring healing into the midst of our brokenness. And I think that once we see our own personal brokenness clearly and the brokenness of our culture, and then we see where God is working to bring healing in, we can become people of peace in our lives and in the lives of others. But without that, without that peace of Christ that he left us, without being willing to see the brokenness in my life and in your life and in our culture, I can never bring that peace. So here's our goal for this morning or maybe goals. First thing I want to do is help you see what the peace of Jesus actually is. The second thing I want to help you see and understand is as an apprentice of Jesus that you have access to it now regardless of your present circumstances. 
And the third thing I want you to do is I want you to become inflamed with a desire to serve our neighbors generously by bringing the peace of Jesus into the brokenness of our culture. Because by the time this message is over, I hope you're going to see that they don't have it and we do, so we have to take it. So let's start with understanding what peace actually is. Notice this, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm gonna give you some peace to hang on to and to hold on to. What he said was, I leave you with peace. My peace I give you. The peace of Jesus is not the settledness of circumstances in this world. The peace of Jesus is not everything's going my way and I can lay down and sleep on the couch on a Sunday afternoon because my belly is full, my refrigerator is full, and my bills are paid. That's not the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus is a divine peace. It's a heavenly peace. It's a peace that he brought into this world when he, as God, became incarnate in the flesh. It's a peace that was not here before he arrived. And it's a peace he leaves behind. He brought it, he's leaving it, and he's giving it to us. That's what's happening in John 14. See, the peace of the world comes when you think you have enough resources. The peace of the world says, do I have enough money? Do I have enough health? Do I have enough security? Do I have enough relationships? Is there anything that I think I need to have to have peace? Well, then that's what I'm chasing. And guess what? When you have something of the world that you think you bring peace, brings you peace, you will never have enough of it. And it puts you on the treadmill. And it doesn't last. Because if I believe peace can come from more of anything, then I will always believe that I don't have enough of that thing. Peace of Jesus isn't found in resources. His peace is a product of his sovereign reign over everything. Listen to this. James Bryan Smith, he wrote a great book called Hidden in Christ. This is what he says about the peace of Jesus. What is the peace of Jesus? It's the peace which belongs to his kingdom by virtue of his sovereignty. Jesus rules and reigns over all, all creation, all humanity, all history. When we step into his reign, the kingdom of God, we step into his peace. We can now live in constant interaction with Jesus and because of his protection, guidance, and provision, we have nothing to fear and can live with sheer confidence. Peace does not come from externals, but from eternals. If you think there is more that you have to gather to find peace, you will never find it. But once you realize that the eternal and perfect reign of Jesus, his kingdom, comes about as we trust in him, then we begin to find peace. And so that's what the peace of Jesus actually is. Now I want to show you some examples of it. Look at uh, Matthew 8, verse 23 through 27. And this will be a familiar story to most of you as I read it. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him. I love this line saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. 
The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, here's the thing. In that moment in the boat, the apostles had an external view of peace. They thought they needed something. We don't have enough boat. We need more boat. The storm is bigger than our boat. But Jesus, on the other hand, is sleeping. That's the greatest example of being in peace in the moment that we can experience as human beings. And he rebuked the winds and the waves and they became calm. His sovereignty is our source of peace. His sovereignty is even sovereignty over nature. His sovereignty over nature brought peace. So here's another example of it in Matthew 27, verses 12 through 14. But when the leading priest and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear, hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. The peace of Jesus frees us from the need to defend ourselves, particularly in the face of false accusations. Jesus' sovereignty gave him the freedom to remain in the peace of silence rather than being pulled into the anxiety of defensiveness. Because he's sovereign, he has no need to defend himself. Because he's sovereign, we have no need to defend ourselves. We can remain silent in accusation. Here's one more example of what the peace of Jesus actually looks like played out. It's in Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. And when they came to the place called the skull... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. Peace came from knowing God is sovereign, so sovereign that even if I lay down my very life, I will take it back up. Can you use that kind of peace? Peace that allows you to say, when things are chaotic, I know who's in control. When people come against me, I don't have to defend myself. Even if someone should come and take my very life, I can lay it down in the sovereignty of Christ. So here's, hopefully, you'll see now that our first goal, what is peace, is this. It's living under the sovereign reign of Jesus in everyday life. Living under the sovereign reign of Jesus in everyday life. It's what we just sang about. You are my king. That's what it is. In short, peace is just resting in God's sovereignty. This thing came that I did not want or did not think is going to end well, but God's sovereign. So here's our second goal. Now I want to show you how as an apprentice of Jesus, you already have access to this peace. Because the world bases peace on resources, right? But the peace of Jesus is actually based on relationships. It's not resources. To be right with God, to be in Christ, is to have access to the peace of God in all things. Notice I said access. That does not mean that I'm always in it because we all will find times where we are distracted and pulled out of this peace and we step into our own strength. The brokenness that's in me and the brokenness that's in our culture at times is gonna pull me away from the peace of Christ, but it can never deny me the access to it. And so Jesus remained in true peace by putting every situation in his life in the reality of God 
not in the immediacy of the world. His question wasn't what's going on around me. His question was always, who is God? What is real? God is real. I can stand in that. And so being in Christ gives us the ability to do just that. To say, I will place my present circumstances in the reality of God and live in that peace. Paul talks about it in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These verses, I see these verses as a template for taking control of every situation in my life and placing it in the sovereignty of Jesus. First thing I gotta do is rejoice in the Lord, not my circumstances. Here's why. Joy rooted in God, not positive circumstances, can't be taken away when the circumstances inevitably turn negative. So even in my positive circumstances, everything's going the way I want, still rejoice in God, not in those things. Because eventually, it's not gonna go the way I want. And if I have rejoiced in the good times, then my joy will be gone in the bad times. So we can stand in that because our joy is in God all along. So rejoice in the Lord. The next thing that we're called to do here is to be gentle with others. Why does gentleness bring peace? Because guess what? I've never had an overwhelming sense of guilt or shame because I was gentle with someone. <laughs> But we've all experienced the moments of discord in our own hearts and minds after we were harsh with someone. And so gentleness towards all people moves us towards that peace. And then Paul goes on and says, don't be anxious about anything but pray. Look, here's the deal. You might walk through the world and think, I just can't be anxious. Good luck. You will be anxious. There is no way around it. What if you let yourself feel the anxiety and that anxiety becomes an invitation to prayer? So when we feel anxious, we go to God and say, this is, Lord, you, this is a way for you to train me to set my heart and my mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. And that simple act reorders and refocuses and points your anxiety at God where it just can't live instead of at your circumstances, which will always cause worry. Now note the end result of that template when we look at Philippians 4 and say, I want to live in this peace. The end result is that peace that is beyond comprehension settles on me. It literally guards my heart and my mind. And the heart and mind include my desire and my will and my feelings and my thoughts and my beliefs the place where anxiety lives. We physically can't touch anxiety, but by God, I know when I feel it. It's here and here. Shows up in my body. Shows up in my thoughts as fear. And so that's how we live in the reality of God's kingdom and Jesus' reign just as he did. 
We place it all in God's sovereignty and trust in that. So as his followers, as his apprentices, do you see how we already possess this peace? We have access to it? It's the peace of Jesus, though, that is not rooted in the externals of the world, but the eternals of God. And so here's the last thing we need to understand. My desire is that as you know what this peace is, as you access it, that you'll become inflamed with a desire to serve your neighbors generously by bringing the peace of Jesus into the brokenness of our culture. This world suffers from a chronic lack of peace. We have wars and famines and terrorism and racism and hate and violence and rejection and segregation and oppression and discrimination and sexism and addiction. And all of these things are evidence of broken people creating broken cultures. It's just what it is. There is no peace in the broken lives and cultures of the world and there never will be. We should not expect it to be there. We should not expect governments to bring peace into situations. We should not expect police forces to bring peace into situations. We should not expect economies to bring peace into situations. Why? Because remember this, peace was brought by Jesus, left by Jesus, and given by Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus just don't have this peace. This truth creates an obligation on those of us who do know him. We need to be people of peace in the lives, in the world of the lost and the wounded. We can't take it and hoard it up in here because it only goes where his people go. There's no one other than those who are Christ who can bring peace into circumstances. If you know Jesus, you should be a fount of his peace to broken people and broken cultures. It is not ours to cling to. It's only ours to let flow out and to change the world. That means that we as the body of Christ, as the apprentices of Jesus, must be inflamed with a desire to serve our neighbors generously by being the literal peace of Christ before them and to them and with them and around them. So what does that look like? Well, it looks exactly the same in our lives as it did in Jesus' life. When the storms of culture come when there's conflicts and pandemics and hate and violence and wars and racism and sexism, we must rest in and invite the peace of Jesus into all of those things. We must be the ones that respond when he says, peace, be still. Instead of picking sides and joining the fight, we should be the ones living in the love of Jesus, in the sovereignty of Jesus, being able to stand before a lost and wounded culture and saying, however this turns out, however this battle resolves itself, I know he is on the throne and I am okay. We should be the ones living in his sovereignty, resting in his power, not our correctness, not our rightness. We should be the ones being love to all of those around us because guess what? Being love to all is way more important than being correct in front of all. 
The church to be a source of peace, the body of Christ to be a source of peace, cannot pick sides in fights for correctness, but only pick sides in fights for godliness. We stand in godliness, we bring peace to others. But if we decide we want to stand up before a broken and wounded culture and tell them why they're wrong before we lead with love and peace, they're never going to hear us anyway. It's just one more voice to shout at. One more voice to shout down. And if you've watched any protest in the Western world in the past three years, you know this. There is no communication. It's only shouting. That's all that's left. When the body of Christ is diminished or accused, we should be the ones who are silent just like Jesus was before Pilate, not defensive. Because here's what trust means. Trust means never having to defend myself. Well, what are you saying? You're saying that if, if someone came in here right now and wanted to take your life, you wouldn't defend yourself? God, I hope not. I hope not. I really hope I wouldn't. I hope I say he's sovereign. My life is in his hands. And say with Jesus, if he wants to take it and raise me up, he can. If he wants to take it and leave me dead, he can. But here's what that means. It means never having to fight to be heard. But to just live in what's true. If someone does not want to hear what we have to say, we don't have to force them to say it, to hear it. We just stand in what's true, which is the sovereignty of God. When our trust in the sovereignty of Jesus is mocked or even cost us persecution, we should be like Jesus, crying out to the Father to forgive, not to punish. We should, in love, be the ones that show the world what it looks like to live without keeping any record of wrongs. That's what the peace of Christ does. It frees you to live a life that says he is on his throne. He is sovereign. I need no defense of myself. I need no security in anything in the world. And I will not worry about what you can do to me. Because I know him and he's sovereign. Ultimately, that's what the peace of Christ looks like. That's what Jesus lived into. That's why his life strikes us so oddly. We look at it and we go, well, how could he, how could he just stand there on trial and not say anything? Because he knew God was sovereign. I know you can see the deep need for peace in our world right now. You would have to have your head in the sand not to see it. And I'm not talking about just in Canada, North America, and the US. I'm talking about the entire globe. And I hope you can now see that only Jesus is our true peace. Therefore, only his people can bring peace to broken people and broken cultures. We are the first, the last, and the only source of true peace in this world that is unraveling very quickly. It's time that we act like it. It's time that we, in the peace of Christ, lead with love, where we let defensiveness fall away where we become people who walk into situations and we bring the peace, not disrupt the peace. So that we can say, when people say, how do you have peace in this? Well, because I live under the rule of Christ. He's sovereign in all things. Well, I want that. Well, fine, come under his rule. Come under his reign. And so here's what I want to do. This week, I want to invite you into training in peace. 
And here's how we train in peace. We practice peace. And how do we practice it? It's really more simple than you think. It's not by running out and doing peaceful things, but it's actually by becoming people of peace. People who are peace and therefore bring it everywhere they go. And so I want to invite you to soak in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7 this week. And I want to invite you to practice it. I'm going to help you with that in just a second. But it starts with saying, I'm going to memorize these verses because this is what I need. If I'm going to live in the sovereignty of Christ and experience the peace that he brought and left and gave me, I need to practice this. And so you start by memorizing these verses. That's the reality of God coming into your, in your life in deep ways. And then you take these steps. I broke it down for you. It's fairly simple. Step one is you rejoice. Intentionally rejoice in the Lord, not your circumstances. Step two is you become gentle. Well, how do I do that? Well, you pray. You don't go out and try to be gentle, but you pray that the gentleness will become your default response to all people. So as you're memorizing these verses, you're praying to God, saying, Spirit, turn me into the kind of person whose default response is always gentleness. And then you feel. What do I mean by that? I mean this. You don't do what the world tells us to do because they don't have peace. What does the world tell you to do when you feel anxious or fearful or afraid? Deny it, step over it, push it off. That's not what God says. So when you feel anxious, I I want to tell you to feel it. Be anxious. Feel it. And then let that feeling of anxiousness become a call to prayer. I know what I need when I feel anxious. I need Christ. So now I'll let my anxiety become the, the chapel bell that rings at the monastery that says it's time to pray. Let it become the shofar that sounds in Israel when the temple says it's time to pray. Let your anxiety become that, a call to prayer. And as you pray, you ask God to increase your trust in the sovereignty of Jesus, and then you are thankful for this present moment. We don't have to deny our anxiety. We don't have to push it off or lie about it. And then finally, what do we do? What's the last step in this? We experience the incomprehensible joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus the sovereignty of Jesus that oversees all of this and makes it all okay. That's the practice I want to give you for this week. That's the the practice of peace. And we'll post a video on Wednesday that will kind of explain this a little bit further, just a two to three minute video that will help you see what it is and unpack it a little bit. But here's the thing. We need to pack our suitcases intentionally and wisely if we're going to journey to this place that none of us have been. And peace is a necessity in our travel bag. You know, one of the things we do once a month that that is a opportunity to stand in peace is, is communion. So I want to invite you to take your communion out now and begin to get that ready. But it's it's a time of remembrance. It's a time of recalling the sacrifice of Jesus and his love and his commitment to us. It's a time to renew and refresh our commitment to him. Here's some words of his that are a product of his sovereignty. 
Matthew 28, 18 says this, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is the sovereignty that Jesus possesses over all things that allows us to say, I can be in peace. But it's also his sovereignty that makes communion matter. Because if he wasn't sovereign, this would just be a piece of bread and a little cup of juice and nothing more. Not even enough to take away any hunger pains you might be feeling right now. But because he's sovereign, it's so much more. And so I want to invite us to take this bread together as an act of trusting his sovereignty, as an act of saying, nourish the life of yourself that is in me. So let's take this together now. We trust you, Lord. We trust the truth of all you have spoken. We place ourselves in your sovereignty and seek your incomprehensible peace in our hearts and minds, in our lives and in our world. Amen. And in this juice, this juice is a symbol of Jesus being poured out, being poured out to bring peace to a world that needs it. Peace, first and foremost, between all people and God, but also to a world that's broken. I think there's an invitation in this juice for us. As the people who are Christ, who have his peace, I think the invitation in this juice is for us to be poured out. Poured out to bring peace to a world that desperately needs it. And so as we take this together, think of the ways that God himself has placed his nature and his character in you, the life of Christ in you, so that you would be willing to pour it out for others. Lord, you are sovereign over all, including our very lives. Pour us out that your peace in us overflows everywhere we go, that we bring peace to the broken people and broken cultures without regard for our own lives. Amen.